Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for being here today. My name is Gonzalo Herrero. I'm the Architecture Program Curator here at the Royal Academy of Arts. The format for this event uh, will start with two presentations from our two speakers today, an architectural historian and an architectural practitioner exploring the world today of Aino Alto. This presentation will be followed by a discussion chaired by Judy Loke. Judy Loke is an architect and cultural historian, professor in early modern and modern European cultural history at Cardiff University and also chair of Dokomomo UK. I would like to especially thank the Embassy of Finland for supporting us in the organization of this event and in particular to Pirjo Pelinen, uh, the cultural attaché for liaising with Aino, one of the, our speakers coming from Finland today. Also also, I would like to, to thank the architecture program uh, supporters, Taki Ceramics and the Drew Heinz Endowment for Architecture. Now, without further delay, uh, please give a warm welcome to Judy Loke. Well, thank you very much. Um, we started this series because we felt there were um, a whole load of designers, architectural designers, um, from mainly the early and mid-20th century who had become forgotten. Um, or who had perhaps never ever got their full, um, the, the full attention that they deserved. And particularly designers whom we felt had something relevant to say to designers today. So that doesn't mean you have to be a designer to be here and all to get something from this, but we felt that these designers that we'd chosen were particularly re relevant to people who are designing today. And we decided that it would be quite useful if in each occasion we had two views coming so that you had two perspectives at once from which to, to form your own view and that this would be complemented then by discussion and questions afterwards. So we felt that by having a historian who would give you a fairly factual account and a designer who would reflect more on how this designer was of relevance to the, or was raising issues that are still of relevance today, um, this would be a, way, a good way of going about it. Um, since we're talking about people who have forgotten or who were not sufficiently well regarded in their own time, it's perhaps a little strange that it's taken us to get to the fourth of these events before we've got to a woman, given that women architects have tended to be, shall we say, out of the limelight most of the time. Um, and I think this evening we will be discussing some of the reasons for this. Were they pragmatic reasons? Were they reasons for why they didn't put themselves forward as much? Or why they missed out getting the claim in their own day? Or was it something to do with the way in which historians and writers since have presented the history of architecture and have, reviewed, have looked back on it? Um, so I think these are sorts of issues that we'll be looking at, but also how this, these issues pertain still today and how this therefore affects the um, role and the, the role of women in architectural practice today. Um, so um, be, beyond that, I would like to now, um, so this is, therefore, in fact, we had a, a, a series of discussions and the conclusion was that the the woman whom we felt was most in need of being drawn to your attention was Aena Alto. Um, so I'd like to now welcome uh, Aena uh, Nuskenem, who is going to uh, present as the historian this evening. 
Um, Eno uh, trained as an architect at Osuniemi, so on a campus that had been designed by Alto, um, with occasionally even seeing Alto in the distance. But as she says, they were therefore blind to Alto because he was just so dominant. He was like the, the background to everything. So they didn't really take that much notice at the time. She's practiced as an architect, but the, the majority of her professional career has been as an architectural historian. She's now professor of architectural history at the Alto University. Uh, she was on the board of the Alto Foundation for nine years, and um, she's been looking a lot at the professional role of the architect, at the role of women within the architectural profession in Finland, um, and she's uh, also interested in the conservation of Alto's works and other works of of modern architecture in Finland. She's a member of ICOMUS, and uh, next week she's getting an honorary um, something or other, we're not quite sure what, from Ikemus Finland for her work there. Um, she was rather modest about admitting to this. Um, she's uh, she, she's um, done a lot of work on and is very interested in modern heritage in Finland, almost inevitably, because there is so much of it there. Um, and uh, she's, I'm pleased to say, uh, oh, she's got an essay in a forthcoming book looking at the historiography of Alto, and um, I'm pleased to say she's a member of Dokomomo Finland. Um, so may I now ask Aino to speak. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's of course a great honor to be here. And hello to everybody. It's also nice to see such a big audience. Uh, in the following, I will uh, look at Aino Alto's work as a sort of, some sort of totality. Uh, Summer Islam will uh, then concentrate on some of the buildings more. She has been very effectively inspecting some of them. So we'll try to have, have that type of uh, different viewpoints. Uh, Aino Alto can be looked as a partner of Alvar and as an also independent designer. She has many roles. She can also be an example of, of a woman as a designer, as an architect, what it means to be a woman. She thought about it. Why is their research on her so late? You can see uh, two lines on Alto research. Uh, under the black line is the foreign research, which means that it Alto research started really very early. Hitchcock and Johnson uh, already mentioned Alvaro Alto 1932, and the first uh, monography on Alvaro Alto by Noyen Schwander came 1954. Whereas the line above is the Finnish research, which started so much later, because Alto was simply there. <laughs> uh, we couldn't take a distance from him. And uh, I know Alto Research had to wait until the year 2004-2007. So one wonders why so late. I'm also asking some other questions. Uh, that why Finnish women who uh, could vote 
already in 1907 and be elected into the parliament, who have, could study architecture very early. Why has it been so difficult really to make a big career in architecture today? I don't have ready answers, but I think it, that's interesting. We have still have very few solitary successful offices by one of several uh, women. How do women get their commissions? What type of commissions do they get? How are different commissions valued? And what kind of support do women need to get independent uh, career uh, careers as designers. Now back to Aino Aalto. She is here, the pile is uh, looking at her. She was uh, born in a family with 13 children, a poor family. Uh, her father was in railways, but of course railways, people in the railways were in a way advanced, progressive. So it was natural that little Aino could uh, start to study and get uh, her own profession. But they, the family lived uh, in a uh, wooden house with sort of several flats, one room and a kitchen. So it was really very modest. And this probably, uh, the class, working class background probably uh, brought a modesty certain kind of minimalism and realism to the work of Aino Alto. Maybe freshness too. But she had predecessors as Finnish female architects. Uh, the architecture studies started really very early. The first one who graduated in <laughs> uh, 1890 was Signe Hornbori. There were some other uh, students who then married or broke their studies, but she was the first, and probably the first, who had a sort of academic uh, studies in architecture in Europe. Uh, so uh, early on, female students learned to be some of the boys, part of the boys group, uh, working together. There was one role model, Vivillon, who had her independent office, who was very successful, but her uh, work was never published in uh, the professional journal Architecti. It was a male journal and pe for people who uh, stayed in Helsinki. She could have her own office because she, she was single. Until 1929, uh, married uh, woman, uh, had to sort of ask for permission from their husbands. So that was not very advanced. Okay, but Aino started to study. And uh, she studied actually longer than was usual, seven years. You can see her, she is Aino Marcio in the picture. That was the name she used, Aino Marcio or Marcio Aalto, her uh, family name. The, uh, Finland had an internal war in 1918, just a year before we got independence. So this, of course, made a longer uh, study. I know all the, only had three uh, female classmates, but then uh, several of the 
the other women studying architecture became lifelong friends, even if she was not always in Helsinki. Here she is on the right on a study tour, naturally to Venice, with a, another student friend. The three girls together made a famous trip. And then very early, Aino joined Tomb Stocken, the club for female architects. Uh, she was still a student and she was the youngest of them. There's a picture about a party of Tomb Stocken, a little Christmas party. Everybody around the table has a small poem there. One of them uh, wrote, I quote, I am nonetheless starting to believe that we may yet become something, not men, but architects. And uh, the female support certainly was very important because women were not very welcome uh, to the association of uh, architects. They could join, but there was no hurrah <laughs> welcome. So uh, two of the Friends, in the picture you can see that they are boldly smoking uh, cigarettes and they have short hair. They usually kept their maiden names even when married. So they had the signs of independence. Elsa Arokalio was designing uh, housing and Elsie Bori, for example, a famous children's hospital in Helsinki which meant that uh, Aino Alto, as a leader of the Artec firm, then uh, took hand and Artec designed furniture for hospitals. So I think there was a lot of exchange of ideas. Uh, as most architects, Aino also make, made designs for furniture early. You can see some of her sketches, the very traditional historical styles, of course. And uh, Villa Flora, sort of rustic, somehow primitive uh, classical building she designed she, when she was al already married to Alvar. She was early on uh, interested in design and in gardens. And uh, she started to work in Alvar's office in mid-Finland, 1924. They married the same year. But uh, I know was two years his senior. So uh, in, in an early letter, Alvar called her uh, kindest senior architect. But they really married early. And uh, Alvar, who had a very good self-esteem, certainly could also uh, appreciate others others' talent. So uh, usually it's said that they were very, very equal in their marriage. Uh, Jöran Schilt, the monographer, has also described Alvar as a volcano surrounded by still waters, <laughs> representing Aino, who was stable, shy but stable, with a fairly strong will. So it seemed to be a sort of, in many ways, a happy marriage, even if Aino had to be fairly tolerant. Their uh, home in Turku, when they moved to Turku with a sort of winning competition, uh, was a joint venture. They designed together 
also for this and for the sort of early works, a lot together, it's sometimes difficult to know what was Ainus uh, and where it was, uh, where others. They uh, designed uh, church conservations, interiors for co cafes and homes, and in this uh, home, they published it in Arkitehti, carefully chosen pictures of some of the spaces. Not all of them, because some of the spaces had historical furniture, old, older furniture. But this super modern furniture in the studio, I know described it in the Architecture Journal, how it has a Swedish Asia lamp, standard things. So it's the sort of a praise of everyday objects, in a sense. And uh, the sort of... Um, Marcel Breuer, uh, tube stairs, tubular uh, furniture. In some cases, Henningsen lamps, but there's an Asia lamp. And the sort of, in the study, the carpets and the curtains are by Aino. Everything is, looks quite rational, somehow aesthetic. Aino's uh, diploma work, master work, had been a nursery. Is it that the right word? Okay, a nursery. So she was early on interested in children. She uh, thought of being a, a sort of uh, working for children before her ideas about architecture. And she designed uh, the, the children's room with simple furniture, but the furniture that was thought for little children's movements and scale. Bold colors, and for example, the table has a sort of rubber band around it so that children wouldn't bump into it. Uh, the cupboard is open so that children learn to organize things neatly in it. And uh, she developed uh, these ideas, so the sort of chairs with had uh, tubular, partly tubular chairs with plywood got then bent wood uh, legs a bit later. These furniture were meant for everybody's home, affordable to everyone, because earlier furniture for children were in rich homes. So there was this social aspect fairly early. Children environments uh, were uh, interesting for her. She designed uh, many of them, many nurseries, uh, also when she was the leader of the Artec firm. So you can see here some examples. Day beds for naps in the afternoon, which, uh, where one could lie on a textile, and then the beds could be put together to give more space, and of course the little girl is organizing things, uh, things in it, how, how she thought. Aino was interested in the ideas of the Italian Maria Montessori, the famous educator of children. Together they designed uh, uh, some pieces for the housing exhibition 1930. Alvar was, of course, a member of SIEM. He had been in Frankfurt for the Existence Minimum Conference. And so it's a small home for maybe working class or lower middle class. 
Alvar was the main architect. I know and him designed some of the spaces, but I know the kitchen. It sometimes have been in Alvar's name, but I don't think Alvar ever went into really to <laughs> study kitchens. And uh, what is it like? It's a little bit like the German models ergonomy, effectiveness, but Aino added something of her own there, and it's the studies about a woman in a seating position, where there are roles uh, also, the, so that the furniture can be moved. That was maybe new. Their home then in Helsinki, we will hear more of it, uh, mid-1930s, was also a joint project, Probab probably Alvar uh, designing more of the sort of uh, exterior, which is a combination of uh, mid-European rationalism and now using Finnish wood, uh, painted dark brown also, so there is a sort of vernacular touch in it. But the interiors came more from Aino. And uh, it's, of course, a museum. Maybe some of you have visited it. Then uh, our second wife, Elisa, kept it very much how it was. Also, some of the textiles have changed. So one can see furniture by Alvar there. Then Aino's piano, a sort of uh, uh, furniture by Aino, the textiles. Uh, and fittings by Aino. And Aino also got a scholarship for Central European Travels. She got it in 1934 to study design and interiors. And her notebooks have been a very valuable source because she really took very careful notes on what she saw there. Alvar came with her, but for example, one can see in Alvar's tank stool the sort of zebra pattern that was very much then used uh, in their uh, furniture. And uh, you can see behind uh, the sort of their uh, dining room with neo-Renaissance uh, furniture from the first for the honeymoon trip to Italy. But textile and uh, in the on the walls and a lot of Aino's practical ideas in the service area, kitchen, uh, servants, uh, whatever you call it. <laughs> yes, at the, the places where servants sort of uh, uh, wait for uh, serving. So uh, 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 these areas, and Aino had uh, also her hand in the garden. We will, I think, hear more of the garden. So she designed furniture, a lot of it. Some examples here, the sort of, uh, I think, elegant, fra fragile little chairs, uh, garden furniture, and so on and so on. When she was uh, managing director of the Artec firm in the 1940s, Artec made uh, various variations of the furniture. It's sometimes very difficult to know whose hand is there because usually the names were uh, taken out in the evening <laughs> to be anonymous. 
Uh, well, the Vipuri Weiberg Library was one of, of course, one of the sort of turning points of modernist architecture. Uh, mainly the building, mainly by Alvar, but Aino's hand can be seen in the children's library. Again, furniture in the scale of children, lamps to the application curtain, and of course, uh, washing places for little children. So uh, she had her hand there very much. Her professional role became uh, even stronger since founding of the Artec firm with some friends. Uh, the director uh, was then uh, Hall was uh, he did was uh, he died in the sort of winter war and after that uh, I not took hand of the sort of firm. So the results of Artec, meaning cheap furniture, available uh, affordable furniture for everybody and uh, best crafts from uh, different countries, from, for example, carpets from uh, North Africa. These results were uh, visible in lots of the interiors that I know also uh, designed. For example, Milano Triennale, where uh, the interior won a Grand Prix, also the, uh, as well as glass designed by Aino. She designed also uh, Paris Pavilion interiors, New York World Fair Pavilion interiors, etc. So uh, she had that speci specialized role. Villa Mayre, interiors, Sunila factories, head office, clubs, dwellings, etc. etc. So there is a lot, and I think, don't think we even know know all of it. And uh, I know uh, since founding of Artec concentrated on developing Artec's models. She also designed glass as Alvar did, but their design ideas can be thought that they're slightly different. On the right, Alvar's Savoy vase, the sort of famous ameba type of form, only art, whereas Aino's glass maybe has the practical aspect of a housewife. Uh, glass that you should be uh, able to stack above each other, but please don't. <laughs> but anyway, they are in most of Finnish homes, they are still in production, very popular. And there were different variations of them, also the set from 1936 for, I think, butter, cheese, etc. So it's beauty for every home. It's, of course, a Nordic idea that came from Sweden, I think, originally, but is that, every, that this should be affordable for everyone. And she designed textiles. This, uh, Prints, cotton prints are uh, from the years 1936-1938. The one on the left is an homage to Japanese themes. 
I know and I've learned to know the Japanese uh, ambassador and his wife and probably for them this cherry blossom pattern. Uh, both Alvar and Aino became members of Ornamo, which is uh, the Society for Designers for Decorative Arts, and they were the only architect members in it. So it shows a sort of an early interest. Aino designed uh, interiors for the Big Villa Mayra by the rich industrialist couple, Harry and Mayra Gulliksen. Also her thoughts can be seen in the garden and the sauna. A log construction with the turf roof was a joint work, so, so says the architected journal. But I know had her social uh, interest there. So uh, 1939, just before the Winter War broke, there was a new exhibition on homes, housing exhibition, and uh, I know uh, design uh, interior and, of course, uh, gl her glass uh, Arctic furniture can be seen for a small home here. Only that the working class at this phase was not that interested in this type of interiors. Uh, it took years, it took until 1950s uh, before uh, Alto furniture started to invade Finnish homes, but there it is still. Then uh, both Alvar and Aino took part in the competition for the New York uh, Welfare Pavilion 1939. Alvar won the first and the second prize, and Aino won the third prize. How did that happen? Uh, simply, they were so enthusiastic doing the competition quickly, yes, typically quickly, so that suddenly I know said that I want to do one version also, and she went upstairs in the studio, Alvar now and then visited her upstairs, but she had her uh, version and won the third prize. There are similar ideas, but slightly different. So it was not out of a competition, I think, it was out of a sort of interest of the whole, of uh, playing with these ideas. When the pavilion was realized, I know then designed uh, took hand on the interiors. But one thing where she was uh, very much on her own was photography. She was an early amateur photography photographer, very early. Uh, she documented a lot of their family life, and she learned a lot of uh, what's really modern. Uh, in photography. They, of course, had a family friend, Laszlo Moholy Nagy, who a teacher in Bauhaus, etc., etc. So uh, I, I know learned directly from him, but she had her own interests, and I think it's the everyday viewpoint. So Alto children are here uh, drawing quite dramatically, and little honey is with the maid uh, putting up the uh, worst things at the Alto house. The sort of viewpoints are very modern from above, and other uh, diagonal, very dramatic viewpoints. It's the Paimio Hospital, it's terraces, 
it's open balconies and um, is it the Sunila factory, one of the pulp factories, really a dramatic view. So she liked this type of experiments. But then she had a third role, which was demanding too, and it was her role as a mother. Here the uh, Alto family has been relaxing on the beach, and uh, there they are mar marching uh, from there, Alvar, Aino, and the two children. And then there's a little picture also, Hannes' picture of mother at her drawing board. Did Aino accept her role? Probably yes. She worked most of the time, only there were some years when children were really small. But in the Paris exhibition 1937, she designed panels, and one was a social panel, thinking about women's jobs. And one of the women's job, jobs introduced there was an architect. I don't know nearer what was about it, but it's interesting that she thought about it, but because of course she had to give up something. Uh, did I not become a role model? Probably not, because Alvar was so much visible, but there have been many other uh, husband-wife partnerships, because they people who have studied together, there are many, Rather famous have been Reima Pietila and Riley Patelainen here in the sort of pose. Uh, Heike and Kaija Siren, the Ypyäs, and so on and so forth. There are many. There are other types of partnerships, of course, too. And then there are some offices by only women. One of the best known is this uh, office by fairly young women, Ukumbi who does part of their work as a sort of voluntary work for African projects. But few women have been successful, uh, really successful with their own offices. Cardinal Lövström is one, uh, one case there. And she said that she started her career thinking that she, her timetable must be a housewife's, a mother's timetable from eight to four meaning no competitions. Women have uh, taken part in less competitions, certainly less than men, but she has big, big works and uh, sort of uh, offices using, of course, steel and glass and so on. I asked her, how do you get your commissions? And she said that uh, some of them on the docks, meaning that she's a sailor and preparing her sailing ships, some people come and ask, how about designing this or that? So that is, it has interested me how one gets the commissions. Part of them uh, through competitions, but many of them uh, through networks, of course, and friendships. So as I said, few women have really competed. I don't know why, many reasons. Uh, one of the re recent uh, one has been the sort of studio of these uh, four young women who won a competition, a building uh, in mid-Finland, Jyväskylä, uh, between two uh, Alto museums. 500 entries, so it was rather big. 
So they were uh, really bold, but they have also said that men are, of course, welcome to as partners to their studio. It just happens that I think they were study mates. And uh, last, uh, I, th I have been wondering why it has been taken such a long time for women, what kind of support they would need. Of course, the support for people who are, who are families, what they need. Uh, maternity leaves, paternity leaves, uh, daycare for children, and then other things. Networks, also female networks, I think, are still important. Other types of networks being uh, sort of more visible. Even today, uh, from the university professors, all, all university professors in Finland, uh, 24% percent are women, whereas I think over the half are uh, of the students. And uh, our present government is a disaster. <laughs> Twelve uh, men, five women. Mm. So progress doesn't uh, go always forward. And what else? Some of the sources used. Thank you. I'm now very pleased to introduce Summer Islam, who trained as an architect at the AA, is a practicing architect with six A architects, who are currently um, in the running for the Sterling Prize this year, and who teaches now at the CAS at um, University of uh, uh, at London Met University. And with no further ado, I'll ask you to speak. Thank you. I'd also like to thank Tony Fretton who got me involved, and Judy for helping me do my research on Ino. And I used Tony's photographs to the inside of Villa Maria liberally because I couldn't take any of my own. I should explain that I started this without knowing very much about Ino. I had no preconceived understanding of her other than that I didn't know she was there at all. I've had to approach this not through anecdotes or general knowledge, but through the few books I was able to find that describe her work and credit her role in the Alto Studio and Artec. I was very fortunate that the two books by Reina Suomen and Kokonen on, on Aino Alto were in the British Library, the RIBA Library and the AA Library. And this detail is important because when I was at the RIBA, there are shelves of titles about Alvar and there is one book about Aino. To some extent, my research was pre-coloured by this. There's very little written about her in English and even less, which is not subjective. And so the natural assumption is that she worked less than Alvar and had a lesser role, had less talent, and was less creative somehow. A good deal of this bias in my research came from the work of Goran Schilt. He was Alto's biographer, and even depressingly enough, it came from a contemporary review of the first Aino Alto monograph, in which Richard Weston stated that Aino was clearly not without talent, but there is a world of difference between talent and genius. <laughs> I set about my research in as forensic a manner as I could, but I was still following the same lines of inquiry as had been before. I was attempting to unpick what was hers in a room of him. It's known or said to be known that she was interested in interiors and botany, landscaping, textiles, and the spaces and furniture for children. For whatever reason, these are topics that are often considered the realm of the female designer in a partnership. 
and which of those interests stem from her own passions and which elements were considered to be the female architect's role in 1924 is impossible for me to determine. There's a draft in the Alvar Alto archives of the lecture Ino gave to the Women's Architecture Group in 1943, in which she stressed the importance of female architects concentrating on the things that were most important to them. Obviously, these were housing, children, and family needs and planning, daycares, schools, and the libraries and gathering spaces of young people. There exists a rather problematic discourse on the differing identities of the Altos that I kept encountering. One of Artec's employees, Maria Lisa Parco, who worked at Artec from 1956, said of Aino that her work displays a confidence in both style and proportion, but is cautious in nature, even commonplace. Being more of a match for her husband than his other collaborators, Aino made independent adaptations and variations of Alba Alto's themes, being able to grasp their essence as if they had been her own. Maria Lisa Parco never worked with Aino, who had died seven years before she joined the practice. This discourse on personality is one which undermines the very nature of collaborative working. Beyond the altos as a couple, every project is formed by the hands that work on it, whether they're from within the practice or even the client's own. Reconsidering Aino's role in no way detracts from Alvar's talent. Instead, it gives, clarifies their partnership while giving weight to their individual achievements. My scant research showed me that you can't rely on history, especially a history written by people that never knew them together. I suggest that both Yaltos should be regarded as leading and equally committed proponents of modernism. And I'd like then to focus on what's extraordinary about this architect, who was one of the first women to qualify in Finland, who was an active participant in the modern movement, a principal designer and founding partner of a company that is, I think, a unique and exciting model for today. So I'll talk first about Aino's role as artistic and then managing director of Artec, and then as a collaborator in the Alto studio with regard to two projects, the Lemeria and their own house in Munkinyemi. Aino Marcio Alto and Alvar Alto co-founded Artec in 1935 with Mario Gullikson and Niels Gustav Hall. Archival evidence shows that they were all directly involved in establishing the foundational practices of the company and played an active role in its daily activities. Aino was the first artistic director and head of the drawing office. They shared a belief in modernism as a form of social and cultural agency, something of particular importance to both Aino and Alvar, and were committed to reforming their mo the modern interior and industrial arts in Finland. Their manifesto diagram shows modern art, history, and interior design and propaganda, which I think is publications, as the three main interests of Artec. It's an enviable model, and it had wonderful aspirations, the integration of art in everyday life, high-quality design that could be mass-produced and accessible, symbolised quite neatly by the hole cut in the wall between the art gallery and their first store in Fabian Katu in Helsinki. Their distribution map in 1938 illustrates just how global their reach and ambition was. It was a firm involved in furniture, glassware, lighting, textile design, interiors, and organizing exhibitions. Experimentation and standardization was how the Artec product line resisted obsolescence and novelty. Rather than introduce a new line of products every year, they would modify the existing one, or engage with experiments in timber to create new and innovative models. 
They modified designs based on the needs of different projects and used an extensive range of materials to diversify the product line, using textiles, different finishes, and color. This process of modification, adaptation, and improvement goes part of the way to explaining the difficulty in attributing any individual Artec piece to one designer. Another point of lost accreditation came from the assertion made in the past that Alva was not involved in Artec. Consequently, the relationship of Artec and the studio has not been researched, and the long list of interiors completed by Artec under Ino's direction of Alto Studio projects does not feature at all in literature about him. A particularly good example of this is Artec's involvement in the interiors of Paimia Sanatorium. Aino's active participation in the design of furniture for Paimio has been overlooked, as in the round plywood stall with metal legs from 31 to 32, which Sermin and Kokonen, following her archival research, attributes to Aino. All Aino's drawings from the project were filed in the Artec archive, rather than with the Paimio furniture drawings in the Alto archive. The canonistic interpretation of Artec furniture is that ideas passed from Alva to Artec through Aino, who just modified them. The archive provides different evidence, but unless an object is directly attributed to Alvar, it's been largely forgotten. It seems clear to me, though, from the furniture that's been attributed to him, like this bed from Paimio, or this side table which they worked on together for Paimio, that the furniture is formed from a developing conversation between the two of them. Goran Schilt, Alta's biographer, said of the origins of Artec that for Aino, when the Artec company was founded, it became her own domain, from which she managed exhibitions in Finland and abroad. This did not mean that the paths of husband and wife diverged in their work. On the contrary, they always, had, they always discussed everything together, and Alva had great confidence in Aino's judgment, even concerning difficult architectural problems. It is difficult to imagine a more developed working symbiosis between two highly independent people than the one formed by Alva and Aino. This is interesting because while it reinforces her role within the partnership, it makes it very clear that it seems worth noting that she was even capable of understanding difficult architectural problems, <laughs> which is the bare minimum one expects from a fully qualified architect like I know. It's important, however, that before the formation of Artec, I know worked at home at the desk with Alva or in, in their shared office. Artec meant that I know worked outside the family home and took the hour-long tram journey into Helsinki every morning. As artistic director, she was responsible for the design, the products, and the interior design commissions ordered by clients. She focused on developing new standard models, many of them in conjunction with Alto projects. They collaborated together, for example, on the interior of the Savoy restaurant on the top floor of the Alstrom Company's headquarters in Helsinki. In 1937, Aino developed the interior, including the restaurant's tables, dining chairs, armchairs, serving tables, and couches. And when dissatisfied with his role at Artec, Hal volunteered in the war, Aino was obliged to take on the role of managing director. When Hal died tragically shortly after enlisting, it became a role she carried out until she died in 1949. And so in addition to managing Artec's creative output, she stood at the financial helm of one of the 20th century's most pioneering cross-disciplinary companies. Aino was primarily, though, an architect who was known to have a strong interest in design social agenda, childhood pedagogy, botany, and landscape architecture. Modernist placed a nursery school in a garden context, and Aino brought the language of modernism to children's spaces. Her sensibility to the relationship between building and landscape is clear throughout her work. 
where both the authors were interested in the relationship between landscape and architecture. In From Doorstep to Living Room, an article that Alva published in 1926, he described the image of Fra Angelico's Annunciation as showing the trinity of human being, room, and garden, and said that garden and interior decoration are a closely knit organism. Aino's love of gardens and plants meant that she integrated planted surfaces to spaces internally and externally, and the window detailing worked to bring the garden to the inside. Her drawings show a soft edge between building and landscape, as in the classical design for Villa Flora, their summer house, which she designed with a turf roof. Villa Maria, one of the few buildings I managed to see a few weeks ago, is a great example of this attention to the edges of their buildings. The garden room entirely blurs the boundary between the forest and the room. In fact, all the elements in the interior work together, not to frame the landscape, but to incorporate it such that it is also part of the room. The house is quite beautiful, and I take the house to be a work they shared. The official text of the house is signed by both Aino and Alva, and it's punctuated by statements beginning with we. I think it was an opportunity for them both to experiment in different ways with their ideas and designs. I initially did my best to unpick which elements might have been her passion or her focus. But as I said earlier, I feel this approach undermines what is a partnership and a collaborative piece of design work. I'd like to represent this house as a work of the altos. The house is all textures, all the surfaces different, but not competing. It was warm and soft and hard and leafy. The openness to the garden, the garden room itself was wonderful. For a house constructed very much around its art collection, I think they didn't feel anything like an art gallery. Instead, the relationship with the collection is conceived as an informal one. These fabric-clad movable partitions around the library, for example, which I know later redesigned to be fixed, are also storage for spare paintings so that the collection could be easily rearranged by the family. A result of the fact that I couldn't photograph inside the house meant that I spent a long time looking very carefully at the garden and its edges and the integration of the house and the landscape. I know worked very closely with Myra on the interior design and our room is like the garden room. She designed furniture and natural materials and planters that sit within the windows, integrated into the structure and window frames to allow vines to creep up and drape across the window. There are fantastic details at every threshold between the inside and the outside. Multiple devices to reinforce his connection with the garden. This is a turf roof for the sauna. This is the window of the garden room. But on the outside of the house, in fact, all over the house, are these fantastic details, bars, um, vertical trellising that encourage vines to grow across the walls, and horizontal lines that run around the base of the building for plants to climb up. Even the timber cladding looks like it was designed to encourage vines to grab on and work their way up the edges of the building. The most literal of these devices were the least successful. The windows are able to fully slide open in the living spaces, um, although apparently mosquitoes meant that they never did this. So I assume that this photograph of Aino and Myra was one of the two times that it was ever done. I'm showing this image again, but I came across a description of an Arctic product designed under Aino's direction, which is a series of rattan rings that wrap around columns designed to encourage climbing plants near windows. And here at the villa, there are four different types of column, all varied and ready waiting for a pot plant. I also visited their own house, which was completed in 1936. It's another building with interesting edges. It was conceived such that the boundary of the home is the garden wall and not the external wall of the building. I think when they built the house, the, they had no neighbours so they could see all the way to the sea. Inside, the studio for the office and the family's living room are separated by a sliding door. So the 
studio space is in the top right corner, and the living room is the rectangle which faces onto the garden. The sliding door is most often kept shut. The plans for the house are signed by Alto, but Ino's work on the interior and the furniture design and their conversations together about thresholds, landscape and garden reinforces my opinion that this house was a project of theirs together. Alba would wake up in the morning and head to the studio, where Ino could join him to talk about projects they were working on together. But she had her own office to go to, however, which meant that she most often was commuting into Helsinki, into the Artec office. Although much humbler, there are lots of details from Villa Maria in their own home. Planters are incorporated into and designed to sit on top of the radiators. The dining room and studio have fabric walls that lend the house a great warmth. But the different textures don't compete. They have a richness that belies the clinical perception of modernism. Every view out is framed by vines or house plants. And on the exterior walls, there are recurring details tested for the Villa Maria, with plants being trained up specially detailed cladding, or along planters forming soft thresholds by the front door. Almost 80 years later, the house has been consumed by the garden. Aino died in 1949, and Alva remarried to Elissa, an architect who joined the practice in 1949. They carried on the work of the outer office together. His work changed over the next 27 years, but throughout his career, I see elements of his and Aino's shared interests and details that developed from their work together. It was not long after Aino's death that Alto had a studio built in Munkinemi, not far from the house he and Aino had built together. He worked on the new studio with Alyssa, with whom he had a long and successful working partnership. It's a fantastic working space, and open and light and green. On the way out, I saw this handrail with one bar for your hand and one running parallel behind it for the vines. And there again was this coupling of architecture and nature that was so important in Alva and Ina's work. In the same way, I see the experimental house in Maratzalo, which is a building I would love to have visited, with its emphasis on the exterior rooms as part of the interior, as a development of Aino and Alva's 24-year-long conversation. In the living room of that house, Aino's photograph is still on the piano, as Alva left it when she died, and Alyssa too, after he did. Their story is significant because of the continuing influence of their work, but also because of the persistent undervaluing of personalities like Aino's. We're still keen to attribute the creative work of many to a single individual. Our lack of recognition of Aino's quieter contributions is reflected in wider society, and underplaying her role promotes unrealistic ideas about creativity and the characteristics of creative individuals. Alva valued the partnership that he was part of, and it was not he that wrote her out of their story. Thank you. Well, now I hand it over to you if you have any questions or issues that you'd like to raise at this point. It's very interesting to have, you know, gained this insight into Aino Alto's work. I was just wondering whether Elisa Alto, you know, after she married Alto, whether she also had some degree of a body of work which is a little bit more independent of her husband's in the way that we can trace um, Aino's work. If I can say something for Elisa, she hasn't been researched yet. 
at all, which is <laughs> kind of strange. Of course, Elisa was a lot younger than uh, I know, so their relation was different, but Elisa became professionally very skillful and she took hand of very large works after Alto's death, really fighting uh, f for them in a sort of uh, beautiful way. So I think it's uh, really strange that she has to wait for uh, any monography. It must come. Given how long Aino's had to wait, we just hope she doesn't have to wait quite so long. Maybe it's partly the f family which has concentrated on keeping a I know memory, Elisa and Alvar didn't have any children, but nevertheless, great work. Uh, starting from uh, being together with the Saunatsalo Town Hall, Muratsalo Summer Cottage, etc., Seinayoki buildings, a lot, really. I think this, this aspect of having children who help to promote your memory yes. is quite interesting to talk about that, yes. Did they actually construct anything together? Did they sort of build together or make um, uh, maquettes of furniture, or was it was it more a paper exercise? Uh, they had a model maker mostly, <laughs> so they. I don't think they. I don't know anything about early models, but Alto Office had professional model makers, so which are beautiful, yes, there are lots of them, but I don't think they, in the later models they would have their hand in. Sorry, what, what I'm meaning is, did they, did they actually sort of build buildings or build furniture together? Were they interested in the practical nature of putting materials together? No, I don't think so. Alto, Alvar painted. Alvar made sculptures, so no, not that I would know. I think even mm. with, with the furniture design development, they worked with a carpenter who made the mock-ups and tested things for them as, as they had been drawn. Yes, and of course furniture needs a lot of prototypes being there. We don't know about those processes that well. Uh, of the royalties, <laughs> uh, from Alvar's furniture, they go to the Alto Foundation of Aino's furniture, they go to the family. And uh, it has been a bit unclear how much Aino designed. Uh, thanks. The first time I went to Finland was on my return from Japan. And I was very, I kept looking at things and they got on back in Japan. And then I was told there was a strong relationship between Alto and the, the Japanese ambassador and that the Japanese ambassador would lend him books and he would point to a detail and say to the architect, this is how I want that gate. One of the pictures of Villa Maria, the, the fence, for instance, is mm. very, very Japanese. But the other thing you see a very strong inference, apparently, I was always told it was he, you know, but maybe it's I. He was fascinated with Ikebana, Japanese flower arranging. Once you make that connection, you can see that all through his plans, the compositions, you know, of the horizontal against the asymmetric and the organic and so on. I was just wondering how much that enthusiasm was perhaps hers rather than his, or because that Japanese influence is so strong everywhere, you know, even in the abstract plans. Uh, the Jap Japanese, yes. Uh, I would say that at least Alvar would be able to pick 
so from all kinds of sources. Uh, there was a sort of Japanese tea house in Stockholm as a museum. There was a Japanese department uh, in the Paris exhibition 1937. A lot of Japanese around, and so he mixed Jap Japanese influences, I think, in Villa Mayra yeah. too, with Finnish vernacular, all kinds of influences. So part of Alvar's talent was maybe that he didn't have any inhibitions from taking from all kinds of sources. One thing that um, maybe we, we didn't mention was that the sort of uh, Britain was the first place to make really Alto's furniture uh, famous or yes, to be able to anybody to buy outside Finland. It's interesting to be here. Yes. Um, sorry, just to go back to your point about whether it was her interest um, more than his, I think it's quite a difficult thing to speculate. It's possible, but that's the nature of the whole problem with the two of them, that he wrote his interests down on paper and they were published, and maybe, maybe it was hers, maybe it was both of them. I don't know how we could pick that apart from the fact that they worked on those things together. The point that's coming through time and time again is in rethinking this as the, of the role of the woman who's been overshadowed by, quote-unquote, the great man, is not to go too far the other way and, and to recognise um, the role of this dialogue and this partnership. I think this has come through that Alva could not have done what he did without Aino, um, but it's, it's important really in a way to see to see this as as something which happened because the the it was more that the sum of the two parts was greater than the two individuals could have been on their own. Yeah, and I think not only I know, of course, other people who were in the office. It has been a long time before they have been researched. Very skillful people, so I think it, part of a person's talent, talented person's talent, is to choose the people around him or her. I'd just like to um, pick up your, um, the points you made about women architects, um, because one thing I understood was that uh, in Finland you've got 50% women architects registered. Um, here we've got half that number, uh, and I was expecting a far more positive um, uh, status of Finnish women architects than you've described, which is really disappointing because I thought you were pioneering and really ahead of the game. Um, but clearly you've got problems as well. Um, what's quite interesting was the 1937 Paris exhibition was also the exhibition that a very famous, well, a, a, an outstanding, in fact, I think the most important architect this country's ever had and who nobody knows about because she was a woman, uh, it was Mary Crowley, or Mary Med, as she then later became known. But she um, designed the nursery children's section of the British Pavilion of the Paris 1937 exhibition. And so we see a, um, a focus of women um, dealing with design for young children, which was really very innovative and very modern because they were looking at education and um, things ergonomically. Uh, which, of course, influenced the whole of the modern movement. Uh, and I'd just like to come back to Judy's point. So one of my points is about the status of women in Finnish architecture. And the second point is this business about um, uh, partners. 
most of the famous practices have uh, women partners who are ignored, uh, be it Rogers, Foster, Hopkins, uh, etc. Uh, and uh, I really think it's the responsibility of, of researchers um, such as you and others to put back into history her story because his story is uh, overshadowing uh, and her contribution is just not acknowledged. So um, those, those are the two points I wanted to make. Yes, it's interesting, the historiographic question, because it, I meet it from the partnership uh, histories. Uh, few are different. The Öpö uh, seem to be doing together, and they have been, uh, the history of their work has been written by a woman, architect historian, whereas the Pietila uh, uh, histories are always sort of asking that what she di did she do, what was her role, in a sort of suspecting way. <laughs> yes. This isn't by any means to say that the world isn't unfair to women architects, but there is, let's say that there is a general question about the way that offices work, where one of the people is seen as the author, and I've written about the um, changing patterns of authorship in an office. So it's, it is a factor of architectural practice that with some very, very rare exceptions that the participants don't get equal billing. And <clears throat> Alison and Peter Smithson is a good example of where both of their voices were constantly put forward. And unless that happens, the world will always just seek a single mm -hmm. voice for the practice. But it is true that, that women have a bad deal. So... I'll stop there. <laughs> I, I think I, I sort of agree with part of what you were saying and that um, buildings are not made by individuals. Buildings are created by teams and, you know, the constructor and the client is part of that team and, and I think we can too much try and sort of break it all down into, you know, what, what is the hand behind it. Inevitably, someone has to draw the line. And I think that's quite an important question. But um, what's also an important question is someone has to explain it. And I think in a partnership, to have to explain to your partner why you're doing something or why something is, is the precursor to any writing about architecture. And so that the partnership between them and between others in the office and the other people who are involved in the buildings, um, to me makes, gives a richness which could never come from one person and perhaps it's wrong that, I mean, I'm sure that uh, Ena Alto has been unfairly diminished in history. But what's really important is that those buildings were built and all the people who were involved in them were important. 
Um, I have a couple of observations and a couple of questions as well. Um, having grown up in Finland, um, and you mentioned that Aino made affordable furniture, which is true because um, I think 90% of Finnish households at one point had something made by Alvar Aalto or Aino Aalto to the point that it was really getting boring going to visit someone and oh we got that and we got that and we got that. So it wasn't, all the Finnish um, homes looked pretty much the same. And I think nowadays Aalto's furniture is quite expensive but then you can get the Ikea, you know, <laughs> ones that look a bit like that. Um, but yeah, um, what I wanted to ask, um, what happened to, what became of their children? I know, and Alva's children, the two children. Okay. That's my first question. And my second question was, um, in, in, in one of the drawings where Aino was, where, where they had the Christmas party and they had the poems, they were in Swedish, weren't they? The poems there. Sorry? In Swedish language. Did she study in Swedish or, because obviously oh, Swedish is the second language in Finland. She was Swedish. She was Swedish. They, they spoke Finnish together. Okay. But what became of the children? Do you know? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, Hanni or Johanna was an art historian who was married to a famous psychiatrist. She's dead some years ago, and Hamilkar, the son, was, I was told, a genius engineer. He did some works together with his father. Hamilkar died a couple of months ago. Unfortunately, last year he was too fragile for any interview because the sort of joint projects would have been really interesting. If somebody knows all the projects, there is for Vienna Vogelweide concert hall with sort of suspension <laughs> roof, sort of bold engineering feats. So that's lost. But they didn't become architects, which is understandable. <laughs> I would like to make you a question because in my understanding that uh, they collaborated also in one of the most iconic like Alto buildings, the Alvar Alto building, that is the Paimio Sanatorium, where she was like working with a completely different briefing, that it was like a more technical and responding to a very specific like regulation. Um, it's also my understanding that it was a sort of failure because the, um, the facility that Aino was designing, these lockers for the, um, for the patients, uh, they had to be removed after a few weeks because they looked like coffins. Can you, uh, and, and it was like quite negative and pessimistic and, and patients uh, requested to, to be removed. And I don't know if you can like explain a little bit further about this collaboration and this particular project. If I understood you right, which I'm not quite sure. Uh, so uh, I know work together in the big projects, yes, but it's difficult to know what parts. Uh, she didn't always sign her science drawings. She was in Paimio. Yes, absolutely, but furniture probably, yes, some, and the housing, doctors, nurses, housing more, so it was, she had specialized somehow, yeah. yes, that was more her role. There is a lot that we don't exactly know, and then one can ask, is it important, yes. I'm not sure how unsuccessful it was generally, maybe. I don't know the story of the joinery, but it's a children's school now, I think, so it's, yeah, it's still it used. Part of the that didn't work well or 
the children's lockers. No, 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 no. Paimio. In Paimio. Okay, yes. Um, Paimio is a difficult story. Is it isn't a hospital anymore? So Paimio has undergone many, many changes. There is the sort of project of getting it a sort of a world heritage status. Difficult, maybe. So now there has been a sort of there has been getting money for a sort of bigger survey and future planning. So uh, we will learn certainly more and hopefully Paimio will get sort of different types of health uh, service functions, let's say, so not a big hospital anymore. It's too far from the next city. So mm, difficult what to do with Paimio because it's uh, of course one of the key works. Of early Alto works. I'd like to raise a couple of points for both of you, in a sense, in terms of what's relevant to design today as well, in terms of the role of women. And one is um, that we've seen, and with various other examples which have been raised, um, about women being pushed, or are women electing to go to take more work? that's concerned with children, that's concerned with the domestic sphere. Um, how do you feel about that in today's context of women supposedly being, at least in some ways, more emancipated? And how do you feel personally as people who've been involved in architectural design? And do you think that there are certain things which need to change in order to give women more freedom of choice over that? This is a lovely anecdote by Trevor Dunnett, for instance, of Jane Drew being given the commission from the gas board to design kitchens, and his comment was that she was the person who was least likely of all to ever be seen in a kitchen. And, you know, they have maids anyway, and so, you know, why ask her to design the kitchen? You know, most men would be more able than she was. So, so it's in that kind of context of what sort of roles should women, do women want, is there more freedom now for women to choose which roles they go into in architectural design? It's very tricky. Um, so I work, in a, I work at 6A and um, some of my colleagues and friends are here as well. We're not 50% women and men and I can't speak for everyone in the office about their individual interests but I don't feel that we're given the kitchens and the interiors um, anymore <laughs> and I have not encountered that um, and Tom and Steph have different interests and sometimes they coincide and sometimes they have different aspects of project that they're interested in um, they're both interested I think in gardens um, and landscaping and the incorporation of that within architecture but I've not been given any of the, of the kitchens recently <laughs> One very old example, which is uh, Vivi Lern, uh, who uh, participated in a competition about fire station in Tampere, I think the year must have been 1908. Competitions uh, are, of course, kind of anonymous. She won. The others uh, complained that how do, how do you 
get it and but the jury said that it was the best entry so simply maybe competitions have been earlier one key for getting all kinds of tasks and particularly well, do you think anonymity played a part there that it wasn't identified as being a woman's entry I think rather like um, anonymous CVs being promoted now. Um, I think. The, other, the other issue I wanted to raise was we're seeing that um, Ina was particularly concerned with furniture um, and furnishings. And um, how far do you think it was freedom and how far do you think she was being pushed to take more of that role and therefore perhaps less of the more heavyweight architectural building role? From what I've read of their relationship, um, it's very difficult to know. <laughs> I think essentially I wouldn't like to speculate too much, but what I, what I have understood is that Ava wasn't pushing her into one direction or another. Their relationship sounds very equal and that they were supportive of each other and interested in the work that they did together. But I expect that being given the role of artistic director of a fantastic new company might have encouraged her to spend more time in that independent role where she could make decisions on her own. It's also a bit the reverse of what one usually thinks of, in fact, the husband was working at home, in yeah. a sense, and she was commuting out to the office. Um, I know. I think you raised the question a couple of times, have... Um, how does one get commissions? And I wonder whether you could expand a little bit on that. Like, is it that um, for Aina it was easier, to, or for women, it's easier to get commissions through networking as opposed to competitions? Uh, interesting question, yes. Finland has had a big tradition of architecture competitions, but the style has changed. Now, for an invited competition, one has to have uh, so and so much uh, accomplished on the specific task. So, people are bitter. Competitions have been important. It's very difficult to know what networks mean, but they mean a lot. Who is uh, who comes from the same political background or uh, whatever, whatever. Uh, I think the skill of networking must be one of the <laughs> basic skills for uh, architects. Without it, yes, of course one specializes in certain tasks too. But it's really difficult to value what that means. Uh, my own PhD thesis was about an architect who was one, I could say, good enough. And I found out that one doesn't have to be splendid to be very successful, <laughs> if one is good enough. Uh, and you were telling me last night about a woman who won the National Prize one year, and then after the celebratory presentation and the dinner party, she found herself sent off to the railway station to go home 
because all the others present were men and they were going off to the oh, sauna. Yes, so yes. I told about a friend who won a competition and she said that uh, it was by a mining company, there was a party, all the others were men. And then she said that then there was a eating and drinking and then the sort of host said that now let's uh, we guys let's go to sauna and uh, we can take a taxi for Anna for her train. <laughs> she felt bitter. So, so there are other sorts of networks in Finland which exclude women, which perhaps we're not taking account of over here. Hello, I'm a student from the AA, and for those of you that are interested. Um, it's actually our 100th year celebrating architects at the AA, so there will be an exhibition next week. Um, so clearly we live in a different times than I know. Um, and I'm just wondering if she ever strive for more power or more voice by collaborating with other architects, female architects, or does she ever felt that she was lacking power ever? We don't know really that much. We have the monographies of Jöran Schilt, and uh, it's the monographies which are fantastic. Also, they are very good reading, I recommend them, but yet they tell a sort of limited truth. Partly because Schilt didn't know them uh, as young, and uh, partly because uh, Alvar was unwilling to discuss some things, and partly because uh, of the family, not all the stories were sort of suitable to tell. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we don't know all of that. Uh, but I think it's, it's the same with all histories. They're limited. Thank you for all the um, facts you've given us tonight. I just wanted to ask a little question about fiction, if you wouldn't mind switching, switching mode for a minute. If you imagine, I understand that I know was uh, suffered from cancer and died very quickly uh, in the relationship. And if we imagine that before that time, it had been a 50-50 partnership uh, and, and very much balanced. If the fiction had gone the other way and Alvar had suffered the cancer and had died, and I know had married somebody else from the office, uh, in, in a, uh, presumably someone with talent from the office. Can you just uh, imagine where the fiction might have gone uh, in terms of how, how things might have turned out? Well, I don't think we'd still be talking about her in the same way, or we wouldn't be talking about her in the way that we talk about Alva. I still think that there are limitations to uh, being a female architect, specifically at the time that she was practicing, that would mean that I don't, I don't, I can't imagine it would be the same story. I don't think I'd be sitting here talking about Alva Alto, the forgotten architect, and his role in designing stool number sixty. I, I can't imagine that that would be the story. Maybe I don't know. Um, I think perhaps on that note, leaving you with dreams this evening, I'd first of all like to thank our speakers. I'd like to thank the Royal Academy for hosting this evening, and um, I'd like to thank all the working party and trustees at Docomomo for their help in getting this together too. Um, there was quite a lot of brainstorming before, you know, and then it was sort of brainstorming amongst the working party and the trustees, and then going back to the Royal Academy saying, 
well, we don't know whether that one will work, and back and forth and back and forth. So this has also been a good collaborative exercise, I think. Um, you're sitting in the Royal Academy at the moment. You might like to sit in other venues or walk or visit in other venues with Docomomo on another occasion. Um, we have other <coughs> meetings and we um, get out and about quite a bit. In fact, I'm rather exhausted because in the last couple of months, Docomomo has been walking around South London for a whole day. Um, some members have been off to the south of France for a few days. We've had a day out in Somerset looking at Smithson and other buildings, and we've had um, a whole weekend staying in the floor in, Smith, in um, Dame Sterling's Flory building and looking at other buildings in Oxford. So if you're interested in getting involved in that, as well as looking at the Royal Academy website for the architectural events, you might like to look at the Docomomo UK website for our events as well, and you might like to join us and get a discount on coming to the events, um, for which you need to be a member. Um, and there are membership forms around, and if you didn't pick one up or have one before, they're outside. And finally, I'd like to thank particularly the Finnish Embassy for enabling this event um, and encourage you all. I, I think um, it's, I'm very impressed by Summer, who actually dashed off for a weekend to Finland to, to see some of these buildings in her preparation for this. But I think she would support me in saying that there's nothing like the real thing. And um, I'm sure you can find out more about how to get there and um, that there's plenty of help from the Finnish Embassy in encouraging you to do so. Um, so um, at that point, I'd just like to thank you all for coming to and thank, again thank our speakers. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.